0: Good morning, this is Dr. Daniel Guerra and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 16 December 2023, uh, making it a Saturday morning. Um, We're going to continue to talk about lipoproteins and finish off this biomedical portrait, and move into the um, ones I have planned for the rest of the holiday period. So um, I don't think I'll be able to finish it with this lecture because I'm going to draw back out at 14,000 plus feet, you know, the height of Pike's Peak I usually like to consider because I've been up there and I can consider what the vista's like. You know, some people say 30,000 feet. Well, I guess that's in a jet. and You don't see really much of the detail. At 14,000, you see a great amount of detail. Um, So at that particular elevation, metaphorically, we're going to be talking about the general structure of lipoproteins and apolipoproteins. I want to do that and also some of the early stages of metabolism, which I believe I covered in the first lecture, but I want to put all that together because then we're going to get into our last paper um, on a clinical study looking at hypertriglyceridemia. Triacyl- gris- and that is considered a relatively rare disease although hyperchylomicronemia is not as rare and many of the times high levels of circulating chylomicron is essentially the same as high levels of circulating triglycerides as is obesity and and of course type 2 diabetes okay so the amount of tricyclycerol that's in circulation is a risk factor for a series of diseases, including type two diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, autoimmune diseases, and also it can be a prolegomena for many types of cancers. So right now we're just gonna be talking about Hypertriasoglycerolemia. And for that, we need to go back and talk about the manufacture of the chylomicron in the small intestine. That's where we're going to start today. So, dietary triacyglycerols are going to be hydrolyzed in the small intestine by secreted pancreatic lipase. And what will be generated, if you recall, is monoacylglycerol. It's usually two monoacylglycerol and then free fatty acid. And what occurs subsequently is a reesterification of those fatty acids to a triacylglycerol and that happens in the intestinal mucosal cells, specifically assembled in the endoplasmic reticulum, along with other lipids such as phosphoglycerolipids, sphingolipids, and cholesterol. And that will form essentially the core of nation chylomicrons. That's also where you're going to start having the associated aggregation with apolipoproteins. Okay, So it's going to be an endoplasmic reticulum Golgi secretion pathway. And once the chylomicron is generated, the major apolipoprotein will be B48. Remember, B48 comes from one gene, uh, and the initial product after transcription translation is B100. Now B100, that that particular uh, expression of that gene is in the liver so b48 is essentially a proteolytic degradation product which occurs in the intestine remember that the liver is in constant communication with the intestine particularly during digestion for for example bile acids are generated in the liver and that helps in the digestion of sense-restricted the lipids so you can see where this is all putting back together so after the completion of the lipoprotein assembly, which essentially happens in the Golgi, the nascent chylomicron is secreted into the interstitium of the intestinal villi. And then that uh, chylomicron um, will enter the lacteal. Remember, the lacteals are just the lymphatic vessels of the small intestine. And that's essentially where. The final adjustment for the absorption of the adjusted lipid occurs. Okay. So from the lacteals, then the chylomicrons will enter into general circulation, into the bloodstream. And the po- proteins synthesized in the absorptive cells are augmented by transfer of ApoE and apoc apolipoproteins from high density lipoprotein so now you're going to have a chylomicron that is picked up a few other proteins again apolipoprotein c and apolipoprotein e but they're coming from the aggregate chylomicron which is essentially a lipid emulsion right with the other lipid emulsions in circulation, among many other, but specifically in this case, HDL high-density lipoprotein, and so HDL is going to deliver those other two apolipoproteins. Right? So chylomicron catabolism then takes place in extrahepatic tissues. Obviously, this is where most of the triacylglycerol is hydrolyzed by lipoprotein lipase. And remember the complexity of lipoprotein lipase how it is synthesized it is secreted it can be inhibited by a series of proteins some of which are associated with the chylomicron some of which are only associated with different tissues right such as the heart muscle versus the cardiac muscle versus the adipose tissue remember all that discussion so Once the lipoprotein lipase starts removing fatty acids, you generate then the second phase of chylomicron transit in circulation, and it's going to now be called a chylomicron remnant, okay? Now, there are receptors on the surface of the hepatocyte. Now, by the way, these remnants are still going to have some of the cholesterol. And I should remind you that the cholesterol is gonna be in the form of cholesterol esters. So they're gonna be esterified with fatty acids, okay? So the the chylomicron remnants are gonna be slightly enriched because of the removal of some of the fatty acid with cholesterol esters. You understand why I would say enriched because you're just talking about mole percent. You've lost some of the mole percent of the triacylglycerol because you remove some of the fatty acid. And because of that, you see, you're going to have a higher mole percent of all the other lipid classes, one of them being cholesterol esters. So just call them CEs for short for now. So the cholesterol now docking with the chylomicron remnant in the hepatocyte can be deesterified. By cholesterol esterase, and that cholesterol can be used directly for bile acid synthesis in the liver, which can then be secreted and eventually be transited to the small intestine, right? To help generate the pro- emulsive process, generating that initial phase of lipid digestion, all right? Okay. So that's the first key feature I want to talk about. Now, about lipoproteins, okay? You have to understand that there are a series of them. We told you there's a B class, which includes just really two, B48, which is in the intestine and also it's found in the liver, and then um, B100. Okay, which is pretty much only in the liver. So there's also class A, class C, which we talked about already in lecture, class D, and class E. I just mentioned to you about APOC1 and APOE being involved in the ultimate production of the chylomicron getting those two apolipoproteins within circulation from high-density lipoprotein, remember that? Okay. Now you start to see the complexity of all the lipoproteins, because we already talked about VLDL, VLDL remnant, IDL, and we talked a little bit about LDL, um, small LDL with high density, right, which means very little triacylglycerol, remember, density, and triacylglycerol concentration in association with the aggregate lipoprotein are in inverse relation. Of course, it's all about buoyant density. So the lipoproteins are present in blood plasma and they vary in size, but also in buoyant density. And what they are in terms of chemistry is a microemulsion. So the particles are somewhat spherical. They have a central core of triacylglycerol, which is a nonpolar lipid, neutral lipid, if you will. But also there's an, in that core of the lipoprotein is where you find CE, cholesterol esters, also essentially nonpolar lipids. Remember the more polar lipids would be the phospholipids and to some degree also some of the lipids. Right? of course. Now, the surface monolayer of the chylomicron and lipoproteins in general is going to be the phospholipids and then an assortment of non-associated apolipoproteins. Unesterified cholesterol is also found on the surface monolayer of the lipoproteins but with increasing particle size, it distributes progressively into the core of the lipoprotein, okay? Now, small amounts of nonpolar lipids also contribute to the monolayer in accordance with their hydrophobicity or their phase solubility, right? Most of the protein components of the monolayer, as with the phospholipids, are amphipathic. So you know most of the apolipoproteins have a great deal of transmembrane domain. That transmembrane domain is going to be aliphatic. Okay? And because there's the aliphatic region and because I'm telling you that these, uh, these uh, proteins are also Amphipathic, which means they're going to have a hydrophobic region and a hydrophilic region, you're going to have a mixture of those two domains in the apolipoproteins. And that will also allow them to migrate within the chylomicron microemulsion according to their solubility, either in aqueous or in lipid. Okay? So, their level of hydrophobicity will put them closer to the core. Their level of hydrophilicity will put them closer to the exterior of the lipoprotein. Okay. So this is all driven by hydrophobic interactions. So the fatty acyl chains and the nonpolar amino acid side R groups, right, are going to be excluded entirely from the aqueous environment just to maintain the free energy of the system, okay? So now with the exception of the B apolipoproteins, the other apolipoproteins together with unesterified cholesterol are somewhat water soluble and they can exchange just like we just saw with the C apolipoproteins between lipoprotein particles, like with the HDL going to the chylomicron. And also not just with lipoproteins in circulation, those apolipoproteins can also exchange with multiple membrane surfaces, okay? So you have phospholipids and nonpolar lipids, and they have very small potential for exchange, But they may be transferred as well between lipoproteins, but there, they're facilitated by a transfer protein, such as a phospholipid transfer protein, so called PTP. Okay? So there are proteins which will specifically relocate these phospholipids from one lipoprotein, microemulsion family to another in circulation. Now the specificity of that movement of phospholipids has a great deal to do with their hydrophobicity, but also with their affinity for the transfer protein. And so that's why the specificity of the transfer proteins are important. This is how the ultimate lipid composition of the lipoproteins is determined because of these transfer proteins, and then overall because of the hydrophobic effect, okay? So most of the apolipoproteins have what are are commonly called repeat amphipathic helical regions. And so you have apolipoproteins A1 and A2, A4, C1, C2, C3 and E are all found within this sort of domain chemistry. The, all those apolipoproteins belong to a multi-gene family where the coding regions are composed indeed of tandem repeats of some 11 codons. So that suggests that these genes may have arisen via duplication of the domains from some primordial gene, okay? It doesn't mean that we have the evidence for that. It's just suggestive of that. When you see domains that are can be multiplied in various proteins, you tend to call those protein families associated by increasing the tandem repeat of whatever domain happens to be in discussion, okay? And that can occur at the genetic level. At, at the level of recombination, because genes do shuffle not just with exons and introns, but also within domains within genes. And this can occur via various kinds of molecular activities happening at the level of recombination. Um, so we can, t- we, we will go into that all later because I'm going to do a lot of lectures on. It. DNA recombination in the new year because I want to set you up for an understanding of modern molecular techniques in knockout technology. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and I want to make sure I cover that in the new year because a lot of uh, homologous recombinatorial research goes into making knockouts in animal model systems. And some of that can be misinterpreted as to whether or not actual uh, gene ablation has occurred. So you have to understand a little bit more about replacement technology versus substitution uh, versus uh, complete ablation of specific genetic loci. We'll get into that later. But recombination can allow for the movement of domains and that kind of domain can then be shuffled within exons and then the segregation of those exons within the gene itself, including where the introns are, could ultimately lead then to the speciation of family of proteins with repeats, okay? That's the argument in terms of uh, recombination as well as um, translocation playing a role in generating repeat domains in proteins for protein evolution coming from genetic uh, mechanisms, okay? So I know we, we just drifted away there from what our topic is, but I just wanted to bring that up so that you have some idea, okay? Now the B proteins, okay? We want to talk about, quite about these. At least I want to cover the basics of it because it's necessary for you to remember that B48 is a key feature in the chylomicron. And why we're all interested in the chylomicron um, is for obvious reasons. Is because we're talking about triacylglycerolemia, hypertriacylglycerolemia. So from that component, you understand that if you have high levels of triacylglycerol, you have to look at which lipoproteins are trafficking triacylglycerol. Because triacylglycerol being a neutral lipid, highly hydrophobic, is not going to be found in circulation unless it's in association with a lipoprotein fraction, okay? So the B apolipoproteins, the two main ones, this is pretty simple to remember, is B100 and B48. They are the largest of the apolipoproteins in terms of mass. And again, I mentioned before, they're the product of a single gene. And they derive their lipophilicity or hydrophobicity from stretches of hydrophobic amino acid domains. And they generate what's called an amphipathic beta structure. That's a secondary structure, of course. Okay? So APOD, which is a member of the alpha 2 mu globulin gene family, which also includes, by the way, retinol-binding proteins, and the cholesterol ester transfer protein, that's known as CETP, and that possesses no other known familial associates, also contain many nonpolar amino acids. So the reason I brought that up, the failure of an apolipoprotein B to transfer between lipoprotein particles is apparently related to the large number of nonpolar amino acid side chains that penetrate the surface monolayer. So the smaller APOD protein and the CETP, the cholesterol ester transfer protein, have relatively low affinities for lipoproteins. And therefore, they're dissociated during ultracentrification. So that has to be kept in mind, too, because they they do associate in vivo. But when these apolipoproteins are fractionated out via ultracentrification, those proteins can be lost because we're on the surface, you say. Now, we've said about this many times, it's reminding you the density of lipoprotein particles is inversely related to their size. And that reflects the relative amount of low density nonpolar core lipid and high density surface polypeptide. Okay? So, based on their density, because that's how these proteins were first discovered and analyzed um, via ultracentrification, and all the compositional and some of the functional properties all the lipoproteins are separated into six main classes, okay? So again, A, B, C, D, E are the main classes, all right? Now, there's only five there, but some of the other apolipoprotein fractions can be derivatized from that group of five. All right. Now, the two largest classes contain mainly triacylglycerol in their core. They are the chylomicrons secreted from the enterocytes. And so the B apolipoprotein is primarily or exclusively going to be B48. The VLDL, which of course I told you was secreted by the hepatocyte, that's primarily ApoB100. Now the two smallest of all the lipoprotein classes and therefore the most dense is the low-density lipoprotein and high-density lipoprotein. Even though it's called low-density lipoprotein, it's far more dense than the chylomicron or the very low-density lipoprotein or the intermediate-density lipoprotein, you understand? Yes. Uh, Now they, LDL and HDL have high levels of cholesterol esters. And they're not secreted directly from cells, but they're produced within the plasma. So LDL produces end products of the metabolism of VLDL. And components of high-density lipoprotein are secreted with chylomicrons and VLDL. And also they occur independently, HDL that is in circulation, as an HDL precursor. Now, the intermediate-density lipoproteins, the IDLs, contain pretty high amounts of triacylglycerol plus cholesterol esters at the core, of course, and they're produced, obviously, during the conversion between VLDL to LDL, Okay. Now, in certain pathological states, pathophysiological states, Lipoproteins with different structure. That's what I'm getting to here. The so called lamellar lipoproteins can be described. Now, they lack completely or almost completely that nonpolar core. So, they're primarily a bilayer of lipids and proteins. So, they, they actually function like a micelle, right? Like a closed membrane micelle. Remember, most membranes have proteins fractionated within the lipid matrix. So this is sim- similar kite, okay? And they can, they can occur in circulation as disks and as vesicles, as I just said. Now in the disks, the amphipathic apolipoproteins comprise what's known as a peripheral annulus and those particular particles occur in familial lecithin cholesterol acyl transferase deficiency. Now lecithin is another word, common term for phosphatidylcholine, the lipid known as phosphatidylcholine, right? So in people that have LCAT deficiency, that's lecithin cholesterol acyl transferase deficiency, you're going to find these particles, these amphipathic apoproteins making a peripheral annulus. And the, in, in liver diseases in which the enzyme is deficient, you also find this in the liver, these fractions, these unusually shaped, uh, disc-shaped lipoproteins, okay? And, and they can be the result of LCAT deficiency. Right. So it has to do with the segregation, the movement of those lipids around the various apolipoproteins, right? And in the these these, um, these subclass of these lipoproteins may well be the precursor form of nation to high density lipoprotein, especially when as they occur in the pancreas. Okay. Now the vesicles, remember that's the other sort of unusual lipoprotein. My cells, I call them. They're composed of a bilayer with the apolipoprotein, primarily adsorbed on the surface. Now adsorption means on top of rather than absorption, which means within, right? So they're adsorbed on the surface. And in diseases associated with biliary obstruction, those lipoproteins, which sometimes in the literature, the earlier literature were called Lipoprotein X are formed as a result of the reflux of biliary lipids directly into the blood. Okay, now all that's linked to LCAT deficiency. So I think that's all I want to say right now. I don't have to give you all the molecular masses of all the apolipoproteins. It's sufficient for you to know that the B lipoproteins are the uh, have the highest mass. Okay, so B forty eight is about two hundred forty thousand daltons, whereas B one hundred is about five hundred twelve thousand daltons. So these are very large proteins. Okay, now we can talk about a paper. Paper was published in the Journal of Clinical Lipidology back in twenty twenty two last the summer before last. So in the summer of twenty twenty two. And this paper particularly wants to look at triacylglycerolemia, which for short, you can simply call it HTAG. Sometimes you'll see it in literature as HTG, okay? And of course, because of high levels of circulating triacylglycerol, it is going to be a risk factor for cardiovascular diseases. And yeah, let me check my time real quickly. Because you know how I hate to go over, and yet I tend to do it as often as not. Can I get carried away? Oh, okay, bye for now.